This is the Partnership for the Arts talk show, where we talk art. This is Victor Gartner, your host for Where We Talk Art. And today, I am in Gardner, Massachusetts, a, a small city that's approximately 50 miles west of Boston. And uh, we were at the Surroundings Gallery, owned by Chuck and Vicki Heidorn. And it's right on Main Street, so uh, there are going to be times during this recording when you might hear some of the heavy-duty trucks going up and down Main Street. Other than that, I think we're just ready to uh, start our interview. And welcome, Chuck. Oh, thank you, Victor. Oh, you're quite welcome. I'm really glad that we have this time to uh, sit down and talk together because we haven't really had a long talk in a long time. Yes, yes. Uh, I knew Victor uh, years ago when he lived here in the great city of Gardner, Massachusetts. When I had hair. When you had hair and has since moved to the uh, Deep South and uh, I'm still here. But uh, it's uh, good to see you. Same here. Listeners, Chuck and I, we're going to talk about a number of things including the infamous heist, art heist, at the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston that occurred in 1990. We're going to do that in just a minute. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us. As we explore the world of art. You can find us on our Facebook page at Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show. Or you can find us on our new website at pftatalkshow.org. PFTA Talk Show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. We're back, and uh, once again, welcome, Chuck, to Where We Talk Art. And I understand that you went into the military because I... I was just going through your Facebook a mm-hmm. couple of uh, weeks ago, and I see this young man, younger than I've ever known him, in a really <laughs> snappy-looking military uniform. Yes, and that was you. That was me. Uh, I would, I could get back into that uniform with the aid of a baloney extruder right now. Uh, that was 1967, I think, so oh, uh, when okay. I uh, entered the Navy. When did you uh, begin and end your your tour of duty in the Navy? I went in, actually I graduated high school on the 15th of June of 67. I was in boot camp the 18th of June. Wow. I had a three-day summer, and then I was uh, thrust into the the United States Navy, which I enjoyed. I was an aircraft mechanic. I was working on aircraft, the old school, the piston-powered, propeller-driven P2V Neptune uh, aircraft. And uh, I was a crewman for a couple of years, so I got uh, a lot of flight time as uh, flying in the aircraft that I actually worked on. So that was... uh, Well, that's a good way to make sure that it's well-maintained. Absolutely. And uh, it's also good to know the parachute rigger. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I would say so. Well, you were in the service during the uh, Vietnam era. Yes. So... uh, did you wind up in the Navy as, as a person that was uh, called in to serve, or are you a person that just uh, volunteered and signed up? I wanted to serve my country. I thought it was important. My father was in the Navy during World War II. I wanted to do my part. Uh, I had the 
there, I figured it would be a good uh, buffer zone between uh, high school and doing something else. Yes. And it was a great experience. I really loved the Navy. I just didn't like the military. Yeah. So I did my four years and said, uh, thank you. I, I did it. Goodbye. And uh, it was a good move. I wound up uh, being stationed in Brunswick, Maine, and uh, flew to uh, Argentia, Newfoundland, and Keflavik, Iceland, and places like that, uh, looking at um, looking for Russian submarines. To to me, that was national defense. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know what was happening in Southeast Asia, but um, mm-hmm. uh, these those guys could blow up um, Washington in 20 minutes. So I thought that was good defense. All right. And when you were in the service, did you have any time to do any drawing? Because, you know, I, I know that that's your specialty, drawing. Right. Uh, you get time in the barracks to do things. Mm-hmm. And I had my pad and my pencils, and I was copying photographs uh, uh, just to see if I could do it. Right. Of course, I've been drawing since I was three, you know, as soon as I could grab a crayon and all through school years. My academics were, were horrible, uh, but I got straight A pluses in art all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, later in my life, I found out I was dyslexic, so oh. reading was not my my forte. <laughs> so that all my academics struggle. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, it's uh, hard to had, be good in academics when you're having no, difficulty reading. No, that was and in the 1950s. Who knew from dyslexia? So they uh, right. Uh, I was just the slow, stupid kid. Mm. But I. Uh, did eventually, after getting out of the Navy, had the GI Bill, and I went to the School of the Museum of Fine Arts, which is, that was a shoe-in for me. Um, Excellent. I, I really enjoyed uh, and spent four years in the Navy and then four years at the School of the Museum of Fine Arts, so that was nice. Yes, and that that's in Boston. Yep. And that must have been quite an experience. It, it was. Yes. Feel challenged at the school? Very much so. The museum school was set up for... Artists' concentration was to develop your own voice. They, they didn't have uh, subjects that you had to do. You picked out what you wanted to do. You didn't have to declare a major or anything of that nature, and all of your credit or not credit was depending on your review board, which is a show that you would put up at the end of the year. There were two instructors and two students who would review it, and ask all the hard questions, right. and you had to defend your work mm-hmm. as to what you were doing, and more importantly, why. You you can learn all the technique you want from these wonderful instructors, but art is really a balance between knowing your materials, knowing your medium, and having something to say. Right. And so there were a lot of people that were fantastic artists. I mean, they, they could draw just about anything. They had nothing to say. There were people who were marginal in what they were doing, but boy, they had some real incredible thought Mm. that made one pause and think. And so there's a happy balance between those two things. And a lot of people get caught in ruts. And one of the most frequent things that I heard at review boards is, okay, well, you've really done these paintings quite uh, quite good. Why don't you take up ceramics? What? (laughs) Or... How about going into photography? Or how about, why don't you do some 3D sculptures? And it got people out of their comfort zone, out of their box, and have to learn a whole new language in order to do things. But what it did is 
going into diverse things. It was very good school that way. Hmm. And T. Lutz Feiniger, who was one of my painting instructors, was actually a student of the Bauhaus in Germany. Okay. And he was uh, forced out by the Nazis. That was the first thing Hitler did, was to close the Bauhaus. Well, uh, anything that was other than traditional art yes. was in jeopardy. Right. Exactly. He had to leave quickly. And uh, so did the architect Gropius, who came to Boston. And... One of the thrilling things was he knew Frau Gropius, and they had a house, the Gropius house in Lincoln, Massachusetts. Well, he got our painting class together, and we went and sat and talked to Frau Gropius about the house and all the innovations. How interesting. And so I, I was sitting there listening to this incredible woman, and she's going on about all the features. Like, for instance, the kitchen had a round table. It was the first round table that was made specifically for that kitchen. It had recessed lighting. There was no fixture, hmm. but it was a hole in the ceiling, and <laughs> it was. It had a cone of light that came down exactly the same size as the table. So your food was lit up, and there was no light in your eyes. A lot of thought went into this. this it, and she said, well, if you put your hand over the register, and so this air was flowing up, this nice cool air, she goes, there's no fan. It's situated on the hill so that when the wind blows, it creates that uh, flow of air. It was the first house that used um, store windows for the windows to see the, uh, the, the landscape outside. All right. So it was the first picture window. Very cool. And... You know, it was, it was innovations like that, the uh, using glass bricks for walls so that you can't see through it, but the light comes through. All right. Using spiral staircases to get to the second floor so you're not using it in that space. The house mirrored the slope of the hill, so it didn't look like something stuck on top of a hill. It looked like part of a hill. It was things like that. And I'm sitting there listening to these stories, and I'm just absolutely thrilled, you know, listening to this woman. And at, then she just mentioned, oh, by the way, you're sitting in the original Bauer chair, which was the bent aluminums with, with, the, with the stretched leather. Hmm. And I went, ah! And I, you know, I got up, and she goes, no, 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 sit, sit. It's a chair. That's what it's for. You sit in the chair. In her nice <laughs> German way. Her, in her little German accent. She goes, you will it, it is a sit. It is it's for sitting. Setz dich hin. I want us to move on to uh, your next step in your in your career. Uh, well, very briefly, just, just to mention that at some point you became a graphic design artist for a paper company. Mm -hmm. And you did that for a while. Yeah. And then somehow you get the idea that you were going to have this. Yes. This gallery and framing shop. Right. Uh, the impetus for that was the fact that they downsized the paper mill and they mm -hmm. were no longer printing on... Well, it was a, uh, a paper mill that made napkins and placemats and that type of thing. And right. we were the design department that was putting the... Uh, designs and so on on the uh, on the napkins and the placemats and I was one of the designers and I was fat dumb and happy there uh, and then they decided to downsize because they weren't making enough percentage on okay the, the napkins and they decided to just make big rolls of paper and 380 of us was were out of work 
Wow. We just got downsized. I didn't realize they had that many people there. Well, the whole converting department, the whole sales department for placemats and napkins were gone. Mm -hmm. And so I was thrust out into the world. I think I was in my 40s at the time, and I spent a year looking for work as a graphic designer. Right. And if I was old school, I had T squares and rapidographs and amberlith and pre digital. Uh, yeah, right, right. The you know the the, the exacto knives and the yes overlays. You know, yeah. I, I had some sure. things that had twenty seven overlays, and you know the old world based up in mechanicals. And if you didn't know computer at that point, this was nineteen ninety three. Uh, you were making stone axes. Wow. So I actually went to the School of the Cre uh, of uh, I think it was the Center for Creative Imaging and it was in Camden, Maine. Beautiful little town. I spent a week up there and it was run by Apple and Kodak. And learned we had the brand new four uh, eighties. I think you know the, the computer, the PCs. Mm-hmm. I had never touched a computer before in my life. We had Wacom tablets. Where you could, uh, and, and apples, no less. Apple, apples, no less. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. And the instructor was, uh, he was a, a great guy. And he said, you know, everybody says you have to have five years experience, you know, if you're going to be hired. And he goes, the whole program isn't five years old. Come on. <laughs> you know, just, just, say, just say yes and figure it out when you get there. <laughs> Fake it until you make it. Is that, is that right. the idea? Anyway, so that's. Uh, um, but right, I couldn't so, even get an interview. So. Oh, that's too bad. So anyway, so yeah. you, you decided you were going to do this. Yeah, yeah. This was an existing business. She had it for two years, and and she was. Uh, and I said, "Gee, this is kind of neat. Are you thinking of selling it?" She goes, "Yes." Wow. <laughs> and please, let's start talking. And so, 1994, I. Uh, Took the equity out of the house and right. bought this. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, it was like jumping off the high dive, hoping that there was water in the pool. You know, oh. I, I'm not a businessman. I'm, not, you know, I, I'm an artist. You know, I've, yes. I, I've got craziness in my head. I don't. Oh, have you business. didn't get a master's degree in business management while you no, were no, no. We did. I did have a score representative, <laughs> and I, I gave him my uh, the business plan, and he looked at it and he said, hey, "You're not paying yourself." I said, well, I figure if there's any money left at the end of the week, that'll be my pay. Okay. He says, nah, it doesn't work that way. But that's how I worked anyway. All right. So when you first opened this place, what did you see as your mission and goal? Well, first of all, I really did want a gallery. I wanted to a forum for artists. There's not a lot of forum for artists around here to right. show their work. So I devoted a lot of the space to of the uh, the building, and I don't know how much floor space I had here, but I devoted quite a bit of it to a, a an actual gallery, and I was taking local people and uh, showing their work, actually having reviews from the at the time the Worcester Phoenix, and, you know, the Gardner News and the Sentinel right. and so on would come up and review it. And to me, that was a half-page ad in the newspaper for free. Sure. So even though there was not a lot of money being made in the gallery, plus it got the exposure for the for the artists, and they really and the, there was one little old lady that came in with uh, artwork, and she she said, uh, "You're a gallery." Here's my stuff that I've been doing for 47 years. Am I wasting my time? 
Hmm. And they were delightful. They looked like Saul Steinberg and uh, Tingley, you know, uh, mixed together. You know, they looked like little Miro's. They were these lovely little doodle drawings. Yes. And I framed up a couple of them for her, and we had a show of her work. We sold 14 pieces. Excellent. Yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> she, so, she was amazed. So your vision uh-huh. came to fruition. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, That's and, an uh, excellent story. My, my hope was that this was going to be a launching place for different artists, and we've had some shows that the only difference between our gallery and Fifth Avenue, New York, was 250 miles. Mm-hmm. They were really, really great shows. Excellent. And uh, yeah, we All had right. wood turners. We had, uh, you know, these beautiful little functional and non-functional vases and things. Uh, that was great. We had a wood carver who did birds that looked like taxidermy. I mean, it was really uh, amazing stuff. And um, every business consultant would come in and say, you're devoting how much floor space to what kind of return? Mm. You know, that's the way they thought. Yes. Said, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm having fun. He goes, well, yeah, you can have fun all the way to the courthouse. <laughs> so, eh, anyway. But I needed the space for manufacturing at one point, so uh, I gave up the, the gallery after about 10 years. I, I remember that. It was it was a stretch of time. The gallery yeah. was here. Mm-hmm. All right, Chuck, at this point, you and I are going to take a short break. Okay. And uh, we will stretch our legs or something, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll be right back. I'm Robert Richard, wood sculptor, and I listen to Partnership for the Arts talk show. We are back. This is Victor Garten, your host of Where We Talk Art, and I am talking with artist Chuck Heidorn. He and his wife, Vicki, are owners of the Surroundings Gallery in Garden, Massachusetts. And Chuck, I, I'm dying to bring up the subject of the big heist at mm. the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum. Yes. That happened in 1990. Right. And I saw a... Uh, a documentary on Netflix, mm-hmm. and it was about the heist. Right. And I'm just watching, 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 and all of a sudden, there you are, sitting in a chair, <laughs> and the camera's on you, your full yes. screen, right? And and you're you're talking right. about the heist. My 15 minutes of fame. Yes. I, I I was wondering, like, why did the producers of this documentary decide that we need to find this man, Chuck Heidorn, for this documentary? Well, it was, um, this is the Barnacle Brothers. Mike Barnacle is a uh, very well-known news reporter and uh, personality. Oh, this very is popular. This, yeah. is, this is his sons uh, okay. uh, that are went into making sports documentaries, mm-hmm. but they decided to branch out, and they did a very good job of taking the 30 or so disparate investigations of the uh, largest art heist in the history of Western civilization. Wow. And come up with a timeline and putting all of this together. And I worked at the Gardner Museum, which is literally 500 feet away from the the museum school. So (laughs) I 
I, I literally walked across the street in 1977 and got a job there. But uh, I started out as a room guard and wound up as the security foreman, uh, training the room guards and the night watch and everyone else. You, uh, you, you, you were the head of security? Well, I wasn't chief of security. No, I, I was an artist. Yes. And so I was a room guard, really. But I was promoted to a more managerial position right. uh, later on. And I became the foreman, which is working with the chief of security. But in 1980, the security chief left abruptly. Okay. And there were two of us, foreman, uh, two foremen, and the other foreman decided to go on vacation for two weeks, mm-hmm. uh, came back, used all his sick days, and then left. Right. So the summer of 81, I was it. I was the only one that could open the museum, get the thing running. And that was a whole other different job. For that summer, I was trying to keep the whole thing together. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that there was a theft attempt in 1981. But the FBI caught it before it happened. All right. And so I was sitting there going nuts. Remember remember, uh, uh, Ed Sullivan's show where the guy with the plates? Oh, yes. You know, it was... was, Take these sticks and twirl the sticks. Twirl the sticks, and one would slow down and hit quick. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was me. That was uh, okay. the whole thing there. And the FBI walks in the middle and he says, "Hi, I'm Special FBI agent." So and he showed me his badge, and of course I had pie plates for eyes, going, "What?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said there was a a guy who was getting into stolen art, and as per usual, there's somebody that hates this guy, wants him out of the picture calls up the FBI and says, here's a guy with a bunch of stolen art, why don't you go get him? Mm-hmm. And so they said, okay, and they posed as art buyers, and just to bolster their credibility, they said, what else can you get me? They pull out the blue guidebook for the Gardner Museum, and they say, and they had a couple of them circled. They said, uh, we got, here's a Matisse, we got that one, here's a, a Winslow Homer, we got, you know, here's a, here's a John Singer Sargent, we can get that one, here's a, uh, you know, a nocturnal from, you know, from, and wow. uh, he had them all circled and said, I can get you any one of these, uh, take me about 10 minutes. And so the FBI said, we can't ask too many questions because you ask one too many questions and they go, whoops, right. ooh, uh, no, I don't have any art. <laughs> I'm just a crazy guy. Sorry. Uh, that's what happened. But the, he said, how are you going to do that? It's a major museum. And he goes, oh, simple. It's a, a third these things are right in the front thing. We just, we throw a smoke bomb and, you know, then the security foreman's off looking at the smoke and pull them off the wall, run out with them, and that's it. And the the thing that dropped my jaw was it would have worked. Ooh. And the FBI agent said, they has way too much information. Either you've got an inside guy or a tapped resource. Right. And what a tapped resource is, you're sitting at a bar saying, oh, you work for the Gardner Museum. Well, I work for the Peabody Museum and, uh, and Harvard. Uh, what kind of system do you have? And uh, here, I'll, I'll buy you a drink. Mm-hmm. And that's a tapped resource. Okay. But he said he, he had way too much information. So went to the director of the museum and said, we know we're, we're, we're being cased. Now, this, is, this, this, is, this, this would have worked. He said, well, they arrested the guy, right? I said, well, yeah. Okay, well, that's done. 
I said, uh, no. <laughs> so, wow. That was very cavalier. Oh, well, cavalier. Now, now the assistant director was, you know, going, what? You know. And so what I did is I called a staff meeting, and I got up in front, and I said, we've been cased. This is how they were going to do it. And it's an ongoing investigation. And I was hoping somebody would turn sheet white, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. somewhere in the. <laughs> you know, but uh, none of that happened. But we we made changes, made a lot of changes. And we uh, now the the operatives weren't going to do it because now we're waiting for them. You know? This was 1981, 1990. Uh, I left in '87, so I was not there. Thank you, whoever's in charge of that. Uh, <laughs> I was not there during the theft. Um, but I was there during the first part, and that's what the, uh, the interest was. Now, what I learned from the uh, documentary was there was a name that was connected in the 1981 incident that showed up in the 1990 incident, one oh. of the Italian moms. Mm. And, you know, it, it turns out that they know who the operatives were. They know who were behind it. They know what their motivation was. They have all that information. Uh, they just don't know where they are, where the, where the pieces are. You know, the operatives were dead. There was one guy who was one of the operatives who posed as the police officer. And he was in jail on an unrelated thing. And now he's out. He right. served his time. Right. And of course, they're tailing him like crazy. But there was a couple of leads as to this guy had it and that guy had it and this other guy had it. And every lead led, led to nowhere. So we still don't know where the art is. That's amazing. Not one piece has surfaced yet? Not one piece. Not even some of the incidentals like the Chinese coup or something. There were some things that were easy to fence. Like the tiny postage stamp size self-portrait of Rembrandt. Mm -hmm. uh, that was easy to get rid of. The Chinese coup was easy to get rid of. Do you think the thieves had a list specifically, including those smaller items, or do you think they just said, no, oh, they did, no, they were looking for Rembrandt. Okay. You know, and there was a self-portrait of Rembrandt hanging on the wall, and mm -hmm. you can see the scratch marks where they tried to cut it out. What they did is they cut the canvases out. Yes. They didn't take the frames. They just no, cut out. No, yeah. the, who wants to deal with a 200-pound frame? Yeah. So they just cut them out and rolled them up like rugs and uh, walked out with them that way. Well, the self-portrait was on panel, so they couldn't cut it out of the frame, and they just put, tossed it off to the side. Oh. And they, they walked by, say, Rembrandt, okay, Rubens, uh, nah, it's a sandwich. You know, let's go over here. You know, it's a, a worth incredible amount of money. They just walked by. They were trying to get this Napoleonic flag off the wall. They, the FBI said they probably worked for about 20 minutes on it. Mm. Uh, right next to it is a Tiopolo worth about, you know, three quarters of a million dollars. <laughs> you know? so, and so they, they ignored that and they went with this little, you know, the Napoleonic flag was, you know, at auction, you know, I don't know, $12,000 $12, or something. Right. So what do you think the value was of, of the things that they did steal? Oh, it's incalculable. The the number that was thrown around was like $300 million. That's significant amount. Yeah. They're... To the ages. I mean, they're they're priceless. They're significant parts of Western art, mm -hmm. and they're no longer available. And what kind of condition are they in? If they exist, if they exist, somebody may have said, "Ooh, too hot to handle." I'm going to get in jail if I'm caught with this and burn it. Wow. 
They that may not exist. Yes, that's the possibility. It's a horrifying possibility, but it is. Mm-hmm. So, well, in, in your personal opinion, yeah. do you think this was an inside job? <sighs> Hard not to think of it. The linchpin of that whole theft was the Nightwatch, who was a real nolo contendo. Had he followed procedure, the theft never would have occurred. There was a double airlock system uh, with secure doors that if you tried to kick it in, you'd break your leg. Mm -hmm. Armored locks. There was uh, between the night watch and whoever's in the door had three quarters of an inch Lexan glass between them. Stop at 38. I wouldn't stand there, mind you. <laughs> you know. And the Night Watch, for some reason, unlocked the outside door. So all they had to do was open the handle, walk in, and then they had the inside door to deal with, which was an electronic lock. They posed as police officers, said, let us in. There was We, we, we got a call for a disturbance. Now it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Two police officers show up and they say, we're here for a disturbance that you didn't call in. I mean, that's a 30 by 60 foot red flag you know, okay. uh, right there. The procedure is you grab the phone, you dial police stations. Mm-hmm. And it went to the, uh, to the sergeant desk. On the, you have the sergeant on, on the phone. Right. The next question you ask is, what's your names and your badge numbers? You know, the sergeant, de- well, I have Tootie and Muldoon here, you know, that are trying to get into... Uh, the Gardner Museum, did you dispatch them? And they say, uh, who? Mm-hmm. Well, the next thing you would see was a vacuum of these guys running down the street tearing uniforms off. Yes. Because there would be about five squad cars there in about three minutes. Mm-hmm. They don't like people dressed up as policemen. <laughs> and that theft never would have occurred. But instead, this guy pressed the button, let him in. Of course, they pulled out weapons, so you get on the floor, this is a robbery. Right. And they had full reign of the thing. And there was a couple of other anomalies that is too lengthy to explain now, but it all points to the one night watchman. But he never did any of the procedures. And of course it falls onto the poor security chief, who I knew very well. His name wasn't even mentioned. Oh, so, and I, I honor that. He was a great guy. Uh, uh, best guy I ever worked for, uh, except for my father. <laughs> well, I'm I, saying I worked, something. <laughs> well, you gave, gave us some uh, insight into that whole yeah. situation. Yeah. So, well, yeah. And we'll have to mention the Gala organization next time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I would say that... People should really consider getting their artwork that's unframed out of the closet and getting it framed in a frame shop. It's my mission. Right. There's uh, two things that we do, and one is presentation, what it looks like, and the other one is preservation. Good. Good thought. that's That's what I do. So, listening audience, maybe today, maybe today is the day that you get around to having that special painting drawing or photo framed at a framing shop near you where somebody who knows what they're doing 
is going to do it. And you can go online and just put in the uh, PPFA, Professional Picture Framers Association. They have uh, a whole list of framers near you. Mm-hmm. And this is Surroundings Gallery. Yes. So if people want to look up Surroundings Gallery to find out more information about what you do and where you are and your phone number and yep. all that kind of stuff, where do they go? Surroundingsgallery.com. Check up with that. If you put Surroundings Gallery Gardner, Massachusetts, you get oh, it. Oh, that will come up for sure. That'll, that'll come up for sure. And um, Even your name. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Heidorn. Oh, yeah. The, the, sure. Oh, yeah. You can, the you gallery can comes Google right me up. and you get a whole bunch of really weird stuff. But, uh, <laughs> plus all my train drawings. But, um, and they're great train drawings, too. Oh, geez, There's I, some of them right yeah. in front of us right now. Yeah, yeah. And Chuck does this great this great work. Some of it's graphite, some of it's pen and ink, some of it is watercolor. And a lot of it has to do with uh, railroads, but you also have done uh, architectural, yes. industrial right, right. Uh, well, there's, work. There's that one over there. That little, that little oh, yes, one. that's right. That's, that's Gardner in 1985. And that's the Haywood Wakefield right. factory. Uh-huh. Right. Yep. right. I, I like those little vignettes. But one of my favorite artist was Charles Sheeler who did all was did the same thing with Nashua New Hampshire mm-hmm. and um, he, uh, I, I just loved his work uh, and that's kind of like what I'm doing is trying to um, describe my place and time uh, and I, I do these little pan shots too which is just little forgotten corners and things of that nature that are going to be gone yes and a lot of times I show these to old, old-time residents of gardeners. Oh, I remember that. Oh, look at that. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's Gem Industries building. That's been gone for you know, 25 years. Long and, time. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, and the other, the other thing you might want to look up is, uh, well, if you're in this area, but it's kind of interesting. Is the uh, G A L A. Gala Gardner, G-A-R-D-N-E-R dot org. Uh, that's our, once I lost my, uh, got rid of my, my gallery, uh, I and a couple of other people started an arts organization yes. for the, the, the city of Gardner. It's called the Gardner Area League of Artists. That's the G-A-L-A part. Right. And that was my new outlet to show the works of, uh, of, of uh, area artists. And the whole idea was to eventually get an art center where we could have ongoing stuff and uh, classes and, uh, all, you know, we, we do plein air things. And it's not just art, it's uh, music. We have uh, uh, coffee houses, singer-songwriters. Uh, we have a spoken word. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have... Um, uh, all the, and if somebody wants to show film, if somebody wants to do performance, you know, that would be great. Right. Uh, and we've been working at this for about 22 years so far, and uh, we have a little tiny place in Winchenden that we're showing at. But yep. new things are coming up. We may get uh, actually the Elm Street School. Wow! Which Wouldn't is a huge something? building. It's got a. It's got a. Uh, a uh, whole auditorium. It's got uh, classrooms all over the place that could be artist studios. It could be a lot of fun. So that's that's in the works. That's that's a uh, pipe dream. That's an excellent dream. Yes. Yes. And well, 
I, I'm really hoping that that comes to fruition for the gala and for you. Yeah, thanks. because you put a lot of time and effort into this over the years. Yeah, we've uh, we, we've had a couple face plants, you know, and then mm -hmm. get back up and keep walking. <laughs> right. <laughs> But hard, it's hard to believe that time has flown by as fast as it has, Jeff. Oh, yeah. And uh, what I have to say at this point is thank you so much yeah. for allowing me to come and talk to you and, and no to be in your all. shop and have the shop closed for a little while so we yeah. can do this recording. Sure. And uh, it's been great to talk to you after all of these years. All right. Listening audience, thank you so much for spending your time with us at Where We Talk Art. Um, your time is precious, I know, so we appreciate when you do spend some, some time with us. And uh, don't be afraid to add your uh, comments and questions when you uh, go to our site, which is www.pftatalkshow.org, or find us on Facebook under uh, Partnership for the Arts Group. And also, once again, at Where We Talk Art on um, SoundCloud. Yes. Until then, be well. Thanks for listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show. 